And as you're taking your seats, you can turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. And kids, you guys are dismissed to your classes. I guess some are going more willingly than others. <laughs> First Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, and let's uh, pray and ask God's blessing upon our time. Dearly Father, give us wisdom. We desperately need it as we're about ready to look at the need of being alert and the need of thinking clearly. Dearly Father, help us to not be dulled in our senses, to be swept away in a muddle of emotion, that we would be keen to understand the light of the gospel, the depth of the gospel, the breadth of it, to understand the good news in all of its fullness so we are not drawn away into foolishness. Guide us, give us wisdom, help us to look deeply into the truth of your word and walk away changed. In your name we pray, amen. So let's say it's November and you're out sitting in a tree stand waiting. Some of us call that hunting, other of us call that waiting, but you're sitting there waiting. You're waiting that maybe a deer will come by, and so obviously as you're sitting there waiting, one of the things you're doing is watching, right? Every little crack of a branch, every little squirrel that's running by, you're about ready to blast out of the world because you think it might be that, that large animal that's coming by that you're trying to get. And if, it's, if you're like most hunters like myself, it's always the direction that you weren't watching is where the deer come, and all of a sudden they're all around you, and you're like, I can't even move my gun to even get ready to shoot because... They're all staring at me. And in a way, you're not being watchful. You were watching one way, but it came another way. Uh, one of the things that it seems that every single time where I'm walking back to the stand where uh, I'll drop my son off, and one of the things I say to him almost every time is, pay attention, be alert. They're used, the deer will probably come from that side, all right? You know, like, keep your eye there. You need to see them before they see you. This be alert is almost something we say all the time when you're teaching someone how to hunt. Don't fall asleep, don't, you know, and all the things that are so easy to do. The title of today's sermon is Be Alert, and let's look at 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. It's interesting here, Peter has just gotten done talking about anxiety, and when he talks about anxiety, he moves very quickly now to something you need to be doing. After you've cast your anxiety on him, now he says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Now, I think we have to remember, we have to remember that when we're reading the epistle that Peter wrote, Peter is a disciple, a follower of God, and remember when Jesus is leaving, he looks at his disciples. It's almost as like he's looking at Peter and maybe John and some of these other who are going to write books of the Bible, and he says to them, when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come and remind you of the things that I had said. And now we have Peter, who is being reminded of the things that God had said. And so as you're looking through an epistle, especially when written to Peter, and you see phrases, be sober-minded, be self-controlled. He says be sober-minded multiple times. 
You have to ask yourself, all right, wait a minute. It's very clear that this is on Peter's mind, brought there by the Holy Spirit. Are there passages of Scripture that maybe are in the Gospels that Peter is recalling and being brought to mind as he's writing his epistle here? So turn your Bibles to Luke, Luke chapter 21. Keep a finger there in 1 Peter because we'll be back. But Luke chapter 21. Here Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and it's getting close to the time that Jesus is going to be betrayed. These are some of the last words that Jesus will speak to his disciples while here on earth. And here's what he says in Luke 21, verses 34 and 36. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that the day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Here Peter is reminded, again, to be watchful. The opposite of being watchful is to be drunk. And when you're drunk, you're not sober-minded. When you're drunk, you're not able to think clearly is what the text is reminding ourselves. And we need to remember this. Because remember Peter's life that he was living. Remember when the Lord told him to be watchful. To, you are going to be tempted. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Peter, stay alert. Understand what's going on. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no way that's going to happen. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter was not alert. He was not thinking clearly. And what did he do? Betray the Lord. And so now he's writing, he's saying, you guys need to think clearly. You need to be sober-minded. You need to think with your mind at what's going on around you. And so he reminds us by in verse 7 saying, you first must cast all your anxieties on him. Because when we take on the anxieties of the world, when we take on our own anxieties, remember last week we said, anxieties will come. When you live in this world, you will be anxious. Anxiety is going to come upon you all the time, but what you're to do with those anxieties is not hold on to them, because when you hold on to them, you are so then bound by this world that you, th you cannot think clearly. These anxieties literally will cloud you to reality, and so all of a sudden, all you're doing is living an anxious life. And I'll give you an example of this. Uh, for every so often, my wife and I will watch some of these shows, you know, where there's a criminal thing that happens, these, lie, these true crime shows or whatever. And if you watch too many of them, you can really believe that behind every bush is another person ready to commit this heinous crime. And before you know it, your kids that we live in the middle of nowhere, you're like, be careful when you go out. Or, you know, if you've watched animals that maul humans and you're like, oh, don't, don't go outside. I know you can see for a mile around us and there's no animals, but be careful for that bear that who knows where it's hiding that's going to come out and maul you. And before you know it, your kids are living in anxiety because you're anxious about them doing anything. And I'll, I'll sh share this with you. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. We all know that. And every parent knows that until their child goes out of their sight for the first time. And then it's like, can the stress level of it. And that's all you think about. And these anxieties can come in so quickly. I'll still remember that first wrestle with Alice and I. We let our son Tim ride his bike to baseball practice, which was less than a fourth of a mile away from our house. Baseball practice got over at noon, and it's 12.01, and I'm going like this at the end of the driveway. 
because he has one massively major road to cross. Will he be able to cross that road or not? You know, and all the things go through your mind. What about the, this or that or whatever? And we can, the, the anxiety level is so great that guess what we did not do until he came home? We did not do anything other than just keep going like it's 12.05. Do you think everything's okay? You know, and he just, the practice went a little bit later. But the anxiety level starts getting so much that it clouds you. Anxiety binds us. And it blinds us. And it keeps us so bound to this world here that we're not able to think clearly. And so look what he says in verse 8. Be sober-minded. Think clearly. The, when you are sober-minded, your senses are not compromised. I mean, that's one of the things when they're doing sobriety tests, they're looking at your senses. All right, Are they compromised or are they not compromised? So what does it look like to be sober-minded means you are thinking clearly. And not only are you thinking clearly, notice you're watching. Be watchful. These are two commands. Be sober-minded, be watchful. What's the opposite of being watchful? Well, it's being when you're not alert or your senses are not awake. All right, so I'd like to give you an example. Your senses are working fine, but if you're asleep, sitting in that deer stand, you're not alert. And deer will just walk right by you. And what it talks about being watchful is the idea of almost leaning forward and keeping your eyes scanning the horizon. So before we go, why we need to be sober-minded and why we need to be watchful, I want to take a moment here and let's look at the bigger picture. Christians must, on a daily basis, by the renewing of our mind daily by the Word of God, we need to have a proper view of reality. We must have a proper view of reality and what's going on around us. And it has to be understood through what Scripture tells us and through what Scripture communicates to us. If you have a skewed view of reality, you will then have a skewed view of life. And we are living in a day and age where we have a whole world that is completely skewed in their understanding of reality. Because they live, the world around us lives with this as their motto. There is no God, or God is irrelevant. Even if there was a God, He's irrelevant to what's going on, so we live our own truth. The Bible says there is a God, and He is relevant, and He has something to say about everything. Literally, the Word of God tells us that when we look around at reality, that this literally is our Father's world. And as we understand this literally is the world that God has created, this is His world. And in that song, This Is My Father's World, there's a line that says that although the wrong seems all so strong, because this is God's word, what, world, what is He? He is still the ruler yet. That even though the, the evil may be looking like it is going guns a-blazing a hundred miles ahead, here's what we know, and we know for sure that God is at work in this world, working all things together for, for the glory of Himself. But what can happen is, in that moment, you can look at it as if he's at, things are out of control. But they are not. So we can see a, a Bible... Saturated Christian sees the world with the true understanding of what it is. And when they start to see that, they will see that we desperately need God. If we're not blinded, and notice he even goes through within verses 6 and 7 there, if we're not blinded by the sin of pride, because the sin of pride says do it on your own, you don't need this. The sin, when you're proudful, you are not watchful, because you go, I've got this, I don't need this. The pride says in his heart, I'm going to trust in all of these things. I'm not going to trust in God. 
The proud, when he runs into situations that struggle, he grabs to his own strength. The, the humble realizes if it was not for the utter dependence upon the grace of God, so they would go as well. If we're arrogant, we trust in our own strength. The humble trust in God. That's why in Matthew 26, 41, Jesus again with his disciples, he says, be watchful and pray lest you fall into temptation. The arrogant one says, I don't need to be watchful, I've got this. The arrogant one says, I can toy with fire and not get burnt. The arrogant one says, I do not need to be watchful, I do not need to be sober-minded because we can just skate through this. There's no major problem. Because the arrogant does not understand the danger that is prowling around in this world ready to devour. As point number two, you're going to see why we are to be sober-minded, why we are to be watchful. It says, point number two, called it the active enemy. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And if we're not careful, we can make the devil look like a guy that wears red, jumps around, and really likes poking people in the fire, but that is not at all how the Bible describes the devil. Notice first, he is your adversary, the opponent. You have an opponent. If you are a follower of God, you have an opponent that is going against you. This is what the text reminds us. That you do not live in a spot where everybody loves you. You live in a spot where there's literally an opponent, someone who opposes the things of God. And not only that, this, uh, this one who opposes is described as a roaring lion. Now, I did a little, it's interesting to study the whole lion world and then go into this text, but I'm not going to spend the, uh, the time walking through all of that. But I was doing a little reading about even why lions roar. All right, one of the reasons lions roar is to mark their territory, because everything in the sound of their roar, they're saying, is mine. And notice Satan here is described as a roaring lion, a lion that's saying, all of this is mine. He's proclaiming that, but he knows that that is not the case. But with that roar wants to drive into your, into your mind and in your heart, if you're not careful and being watchful, that this is Satan's world. But what did I just even just quote for you before? What are we reminding ourselves? No, this is our Father's world. But that roar of the lion that goes out. And not only this, is this lion that is not just standing there roaring, notice he's prowling, he's on the prowl. The idea of being on the prowl is moving around quietly, in a place trying not to be seen or heard. This idea of me going through the grass of the plains, barely being able to be seen or heard, but ready to do something. And we know that this is the case. Um, if you wanted to turn your Bibles to Job chapter 1, and it's this word here, this idea of prowling around, we see this in Job chapter 1. Job is right before Psalms. Job chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was among them. Verse 7, the Lord says to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down on it. He literally described he's prowling. And what was he looking for? The text goes on to remind us he's looking and he says, Listen, I've watched all that's going on here. And there's one guy, the only reason he's following you is because you are blessing him 
financially and physically, let me have him. Let me try to devour him. Let me see if we can test him. And the rest of the book describes all of that journey that was on there. But what we see here is Satan going to and fro, prowling. And what is he doing? Back to our text. He is seeking the idea to, to desire to obtain or to attempt. He is prowling, he is roaring, attempting to do what? The text tells us he's attempting to devour. The word devour means to destroy completely. What Satan is doing is he is moving through the earth, looking to see who he may attack, who he may devour. Now, let's be as candid as we can. It's only a matter of time until Satan tries to sink his teeth into someone here at the church. And here's what happens when someone is being attacked tempted and drawn away by the prowling lion of Satan. Sadly, our number one response is to run and isolate yourself. Try, think about that in a prey. When someone is being attacked by a lion, as the prey is running from them and away from them, what must we do? Yet, what do we do in the, in the American world is we act like it's not happening, Right? We put on a smile face. No, I'm okay. Yeah, I know there's a lion literally has his teeth in my back, but no, everything's great. No, remember, we got to put on our Sunday smile, right? And then when we're struggling with sin and temptation, right, we have to go like we're the only ones that ever has done that. It's, it's an amazing to me that we so buy the lie of Satan because right now, if we were to have one of those unbelievable opening confession times, we could all find out we're all probably struggling with the same three or four sins. But no one wants to admit it because that somehow shows weakness, but Satan already knows where your weakness is. And instead of gathering together as believers when we're struggling with sin, we think that, no, I'm going to run and hide instead of saying, no, let's actually do something with it. Let's actually walk alongside one another, encourage one another. This is where you need the, your friends that are believers in God to come around you, to encourage you, to help you. To, to open up with them and say, I am struggling with X, Y, and Z. Pray for me. Now, these, now, again, that is hard. And again, I'm not trying to make it sound like we need everybody to come down front here and just confess your sins in front of her. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about, you have fellow believers in your lives that you could go to and say, help, I need to have my eyes focused on God. Can you help me? Pray with me. But we're so tempted to run, aren't we? But notice what the text says. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Run, right? Is that what the text says? Run as fast as you can, right? You hear the lion roar, run. No, that's not what the text says. And I would argue that is what Satan wants us to do. Listen to the local whatever about the church. The sheer fact that you're sitting here means you're already bigoted, right? A bunch of bigoted people who hate everybody else, who doesn't, is, aren't like us, right? And I mean, I could give you the list, right? These are, and so what has is, what is the church done? Run. No, that's not what the text tells us to do. When you're accused of all of these lies that, are, that they have never even picked up the text and read, when there's so much 
bombarding going on at the church that the text does not say run to the community Bible church and hide inside here and become the small little inbred society that we never go out and do anything. That's not what the Bible calls us to do. The Bible calls us to do what? Stand firm in the truth. And we'll get to what that looks like in a second. We are never told to run from the devil. I want to be clear in that. We are told to resist and run from the flee sin. But notice when it comes to the devil here, what is it saying? Resist him. And because even trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding, all your way acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. There's other passages of scripture that talk about what do we do? We submit to God and as we submit to God, what are we doing? Resisting the devil. And then who flees? The devil flees. Right? This, we need to get in our mind that we are not the ones on the run. All right? The devil is the one that's on the run when we stand firm to the things of God. Because he is a defeated foe. So here's what we don't do. Number one, we don't ignore him as if it doesn't exist. Or number two, we don't become so preoccupied with him that it's almost as if we're worshiping him. We don't ignore him, nor do we become so preoccupied with him. Luther, in his famous song, said, Although this world with devil fills should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. Why? For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Now, I want to take a moment here, and we're going to go through three little schemes of the devil. The schemes the devil has been doing from the very beginning. And these schemes are the same today as they were in the garden. There is nothing new about them. Number one, when the devil comes in and attacks a believer, when he's on his prowl, ready to devour a believer, what he does, he attacks, number one, by attacking the authority of the Word of God. Did God really mean this? Does the text really say that? Can we manipulate the text and massage it to say something it never said? Yeah, I, yeah and the, the society goes after it. Well, that was an ancient text written to ancient people many years ago, and if we can downplay that, we don't have to deal with the truth of what it's calling. And so what we'll do is we'll try to ridicule it, we'll try to move it away as some ancient book about ancient ideas from a very long time ago that mean nothing, and what we have then is not really the Word of God, just a bunch of really cool statements that we can or cannot use. What he said to Eve in the garden, did God really say that? Did he really mean what he said? And we're confronted with these issues right in front of us. Does God's Word really say what it says, and does it really mean what it says? Point number two, that one of the ways of the schemes of the devil, to make the law of God seem restrictive. The devil loves to, to, to have you look at the law of God as a bunch of just don'ts. Instead of actually a way of joy and freedom and pleasure, he wants you to look at the law of God as just a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts that you can and cannot do. And before you know it, he makes it sound as if the law of God is restrictive instead of the law of God being the only way to bless it. It's interesting when we think of this, you can even just take one of our laws that we have in our culture that many seem restrictive. It's called the speed limit. You know, there could be a corner that it says 25 miles an hour on it, and I say, these laws are so restrictive. I'm going to go 80. Well, there's a problem there. There's a reason why they have a 25-mile-an-hour corner. 
I mean, I could say they're restrictive. I could go, I have the right to choose my own truth and all these other things, but what's going to happen when I go 80 around to 25? I won't be going 80 for long. I'll be off in the distance, who knows where. And we can look at these things instead of understanding that they have been placed there for our good and his glory. Number three, the attack of Satan is to distort pleasure and freedom. To distort pleasure and freedom. So it makes something that we, God's word says, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, and the world says, no, it's not. The world says, pursue these things, and that's what's going to bring you pleasure. Sadly, in the world of uh, very addicting things, especially in the drug world, one of the things that makes drugs so addictive is you're always chasing that first high, and you'll never get that first high again, and so you keep trying. You need stronger and stronger things, and it gets so addicting, and before you know it, the person can't even stop it because they're chasing that high that they will never get. This is what Satan does in our own lives. They, Satan says, you can have it all. You can do it all. And doing it all and having it all is completely against what God's Word says. God's Word tells us, you can have it all, but it's found in Christ and Christ alone. And that's what it all means. The world says, look at all this stuff. And Satan would have no greater love for us to have a distorted view of the Word of God, for the law of God to seem restrictive, and to not understand where true freedom and pleasure is found. It's found in Him and Him alone. So how do we stand and resist the devil? Verse 9.3, we stand firm in the faith. Resist Him. Firm in your faith. Satan wants you to not believe the promises of God. Firm in your faith, what that means is trust in God. Resist Him by trusting in God. Notice this, though. It goes on even more. Resist Him firm in the faith, knowing. So again, notice this. There's a knowing aspect that helps you stay firm in the faith. So this is not, we don't feel our way through this. This is the promises of God that we know, that we have brought to memory, that we have studied, that we have understood. When the temptation comes, here is what I know. I know this because God's Word had said it. In order to know something, notice this, you must be sober-minded and you must be alert, knowing what's about to take place. Notice what we know. That the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Suffering and struggles is going to come by this roaring lion, Satan. But here's what Peter reminds us. You're not being singled out. This is what the life of a Christian is all about. Satan attacking you. And the suffering that happens of living in a sinful world is normal Christianity. Satan attacking you and the suffering that comes about by living in a sinful world is normal Christianity. He's saying this is happening all over the world. So you would expect it to happen to you. And it's the Word of God and the promises of God and the Word of God that rebukes the devil. This is what Jesus came in. Remember, He was tempted by the devil. And when He was tempted by the devil, how did He respond? It is written, it is written, it is written. He fought and resisted the devil. 
Jesus didn't go, I'm going to run from the devil. He turned around and gave the only thing that will destroy the devil and his works is the word of God and the truth. It's interesting here. Notice verse 10 is a promise. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you into his eternal glory will himself restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So guess what you should expect? Suffering for what? A little while, and God will restore you. So let's try to wrap these two verses together and even back a little bit further. I'll kind of let's go with six all the way down through. So in order to understand how to stand firm in the faith, one must first be humble, and humble is an utter dependence upon the grace of God. And when you're utterly depending upon the grace of God, the anxieties of life that come your way, you cast them on Him. They were never meant for you to carry. The anxieties of living in a sinful world, Lord, they are yours. And as you do that, then you're able to be sober-minded and to be watchful. So when the normal attacks of Satan, who is prowling around, come, you're able to stand firm in the faith, not because of anything you're doing, because of your utter dependence upon the faith and the trust that you have in God, that He is faithful to do what He has said. Because in your own strength, you will fail. The arm of man is weak. The arm of flesh will fail you. He will not But yet so many times we run to ourselves, we run to our own resources, we run to whatever, fill in the blank. We either drowned ourselves away with the drugs and the pleasure and the drinking of this world as if we can just put ourselves in a fake world, or we run over here and we run to our own self-reliance as if we got it. And what God says is He's saying, listen, cast all your care and your anxiety on me, the only way to true blessing, and we're not talking about earthly blessing, we're talking about a peace with God can be found in Him and Him alone. So when we think of what does this look like, when we think how is this to be, number one, we need to be alert. When we get to what did we learn today, we need to be alert, wake up. And the only way you wake up is to have your spiritual eyes continually renewed by the Word of God. That Romans 12, 1 and 2, by the transforming, by the renewing of the Word of God, that help us think clearly. Because every single day you will be tempted. You will be drawn into this world to say, this is what it's all about, the world will say. But God's Word says, no, you need to see it through the eyes of the Word of God. Because He and He is the one that has defined reality. Next, we need to think clearly. We need to understand that each single one of us is capable of the most heinous sins every single day. These sins that are in front of us, that we could fall into these sins. These hideous sins that are all around us that we go, oh, that's not me, that's me, I'll never do that. And the answer is, by the grace of God, you have not yet. Because many times in our lives, we like to look down a proverbial nose and say, well, I'm not as bad as, and here are the people that we always like to do, Hitler, Stalin, you know, Genghis Khan, all these other, those were the real sinners, but not me, right? And we somehow judge ourselves until we realize where Jesus says, you broke one law, you have done them all. And it's only by the grace of God that we're not that. We don't pat ourselves on the back and say, look how great we are. We say, but by the grace of God, so go I. And when you're thinking that, you go, at any moment, 
At any moment, if we are not focused on God and God alone, we can be drawn away into temptation. So we say, Lord, help us. Put on the armor of God daily. Standing firm in the faith. It's interesting we're going to end today in our service with a song called Rock of Ages. And we think about this rock of ages, this rock that is, we are to hide ourselves in. It's, it's in the Word of God. We don't hide ourselves as if the world, we're just going to just close our eyes, put our head in the sand like an ostrich and hope it all goes away. This rock of ages is supposed to give us the strength we need to live an obedient life in an evil world. And I want to make sure we're clear on this. The issues that happened here are no different than the issues that are happening all in our day. We are not living in unique times. It's just unique to us. The Word of God has been under attack from the garden and will be under attack until the Lord comes back and makes everything new. You will all, the church will always be buffeted by the world and by Satan and everything else. And the only way for us to stay firm is, number one, to have our, ourselves and our minds alert, think clearly, and understand the promises of God and hold them by the continual renewing of our mind. So we can say, which we're about ready to boldly proclaim, that He is that rock that we run to. And so our prayer is that this is a daily thing we do. Not thinking that, oh, I did it once, but understanding that each day we need His utter grace because without Him we are nothing. Let's pray. Dearly Father, give us wisdom. Give us understanding. We're so drawn to wander, so drawn to be drawn away by the things of this world so quickly. So may we truly hide ourselves in you, not hiding as in hoping that we never have to stand firm, but understanding that this hiding in you is to give us that backbone to stand against the works of the devil. We ask these things in your son's name we pray. Amen.